Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's good, amen. You can be seated. Somebody hurt my feelings. Oh man, that's kicking worship. Anyway, but, but I, I got to get my feelings healed first. Somebody said, are you Jeff Lucas? <laughs> Jeff Lucas has got a hairdo that looks like a scared grizzly cub. That's not me, okay? <laughs> what do you mean, wait a minute? I'm going to wait. You know, Je- Jeff is not from England. He's from Kentucky. He just puts on that fake accent. No, I love Jeff Lucas. Uh, I was flying through, or been in Denver, was getting ready to fly out, and, and Jeff, of course, lives in Loveland. And uh, he, uh, he and Kay come to meet us at the airport, and uh, so they were sitting in a coffee shop, and I walked in, and I saw him over there, and I started shouting, Daddy, Daddy, you come home! Because everybody turned around and looking at him and looking at me and so on. But I heard him on a tape make fun of me one time. So I don't get mad, but I sure get even sometimes. Anyway, so when he comes, I want you to tell him, we had your son here. Okay? You tell him that. He'll know who it is. I love Jeff. I like Kay a lot better. But anyway, so uh, it's great to be with you today. And man, I love that worship. Remind me, I said to, to Christopher... So, boy, and, and the, the Pastor Mike, as this reminds me of some of our kicking, that's what we call kicking worship. Come on. Wailing, you put it up there on that wailing. Boy, you put it on top shelf. I love that. I tell you, my, my heart was blessed singing about the blood, singing about the goodness of God. I have a colleague that was working in Africa. He just seen one of his pastors had been slaughtered and left in the side of the road and dead. And uh, the same group came against him and put a gun to his head. And uh, he just started saying, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus saves me. The blood of Jesus saves me. And the guy kept hitting him and stuck it in his mouth, the gun in his mouth and had, a, had the pistol cocked. And, and uh, he kept blubbering out, the blood of Jesus saves me. The blood of Jesus saves me. And, and finally the guy got mad, jerked the gun out, hit him a time or two and stalked off. And there was a little 11-year-old native boy there watching the whole thing. He ran over to my friend. He said, sir, sir, is there enough blood for me? Is there enough blood for me? I want to say to this ray of hope on a Sunday morning in August, there's enough blood for everything. Whatever your need, healing, deliverance, God has enough blood for everything we need in our lives. Great to be with you. God bless you. I have such respect for Pastor Mike McCord and his family, one of the great preachers and uh, a great teacher of the gospel. Was my, my, uh, many of you know my older brother, Terry. I'm going to get in real trouble from Jeff Lucas and Terry now. But anyway, I appreciate your support. My mother had three sons, Gary, Terry, and John. And uh, all of us had a different calling on our lives. All of us sought to fulfill it. My, um, unfortunately, my younger brother, tragically, we lost him about 12 years ago. But uh, we all had a, a gift in our life, a calling in our life. And, and we fulfilled that calling. And uh, I know my brother. I know him well. 
you know him well, and he's an elder in the church. Just because he may not occupy a position at this moment, he's an elder. He's an elder in your community. He loves your community. He's called me many times when you were going through it here to pray for him, to pray for Comanche School. May his tribe increase. May God send us godly, spirit-filled teachers in every educational system in the state of Oklahoma. There's still time to turn it around for Jesus. Amen. It's good to be with my nephews. Aren't they handsome boys? Aren't those Tuttle boys handsome boys? But I want to tell you, they, both of these boys, Christopher and Jonathan, they married up. Look at those beautiful girls, <laughs> Selena and Cassandra. My goodness. And then Alex is in, uh, in uh, my son's church. And uh, my son's stepdaughter, she's a killer. And Alex is interested in her. So... But I know her, so pray for Alex. Amen. Look with us in the book of Luke, in the seventh chapter, I want to share with women I have just uh, closed over. Uh, we've been in Ireland for over 38 years. I'll be 74 my next birthday. They recently told me I'm supposed to retire. I said, how do you spell that? And they told me. I said, I don't know. So that means I said, it's working. instead of working 80 hours a week, I back off to 60. But God is doing marvelous things. We uh, started there with... Uh, uh, with actually with two churches, one of them closed. Uh, they, there were two churches. One was 20, and the other was a small one, and uh, closed down. And uh, but uh, God is now. We have nearly 40 churches we're working with. Some of them have as many as 800 people involved in it. We are seeing the most. Mar yes, come on. We just launched a new church plant the other day, and at the first launch, oh, I tell you, God is so good to me. Anyway, the first launch, one of my grandsons in the Lord, Sean, 29 years old, three small children, and his wife, Jillian, in their first service, they had over 300 people. And uh, the church is launching. It's going. It's 30% ahead on budget. And they're getting ready to start a second service. They're meeting in a hotel. We, I, have a, I have one of our churches that meets in a nightclub. That's the only place we can find. We've got 400 people there. And they're dancing to the right spirit on a Sunday morning. Hallelujah. God is good. In the book of Luke, 7, chapter, verse 11, it came about that soon afterwards, Jesus, he went to a city called Nain. His disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large multitude. Now as he approached the gate of the city, look, think about this, bird's eye view. What's these things that fly up there and take pictures for us now? What do we call them? Drone. Yeah, drone. Okay. So imagine, Luke puts his drone up there, okay? I'm preaching, so it's my word. And, 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 and uh, so watch what's happening. Jesus is coming into the city. I mean, he'd just been on a healing campaign. He's coming into the city of Nain. As he approached the gate, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. There's about to be a collision. Life is about to overcome death. Sickness is about to be overcome by the healing power of Jesus himself. Imagine, and, and, and God is looking down, the drone is looking down, and he's seeing all this happening. The dead man being carried out, the son of a mother, of his only, only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and the son, you see, it's emphasizing how desperate 
I don't care how desperate your situation is. It's probably no more desperate than this one is. And there was enough blood. Hear me? And the, she was a widow and the sizable crowd was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion. And he said, don't weep. He came up and touched the coffin and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sit up and begin to speak. He must have been in the middle of a conversation. He just started talking. Probably he's in a, a testimony. You remember testimony services? Feels like we're having one here today. Amen. Amen. And, and maybe he's in the middle of the testimony service. And, and he just wanted to say, and I'll tell you, Jesus, and he drops. The next thing he knows, he wakes up and there's Jesus looking him in the eye. And he just starts talking again. And he said, he set up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Hallelujah. It was a number of years ago, our second youngest granddaughter was only three years old, Asia Grace. We were back home for about 12 years ago. We were back home to do raise a little funds and so on, spend time with family. And in a church had graciously given us some mission apartments to stay in. And so we were there. And so my daughter, who had been living in Minnesota, our youngest daughter, and just had her... Uh, her son, her second child, and he was just about a year old. She, she had flown down to spend some time with us. So we're, we're here in the mission apartments together. And, and uh, so there was a, uh, uh, who was the couple married 67 years? Anyway, well, I know this never happened to you, but it happened to us. And there was a bit of a disagreement between myself and my lovely woman, Jean. Now, I'm not going to say, and, and, and I... She had said something, and I wasn't happy about what she said, and so I re reacted and responded. I know you can't believe that, being Jeff Lucas's son, but I did. And, and, uh, uh, and I kind of reacted, and then it got real quiet. You know, it's atmosphere is not tense, but, you know, if you had an ice pick, you could break it. And, 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 uh, so, and so then I start you know, you got to do something spiritual. So I started praying. There wasn't enough people to take up an offering. And, and so I kind of, I was walking up, I was just walking up and down like this, kind of praying and, and being convicted of the Holy Spirit. And uh, that three-year-old walks in. She puts her hands on her hips. She said, Granddad, you're not being very nice. Well, it wasn't that funny. And, and uh, I said, uh, you know, I don't need a three-year-old tell me what to do. And, and, uh, and I said, I know it, Asia Grace. I'm very sorry. Well, with a three-year-old, it ain't never over. She says, don't tell me you're sorry. Tell Grandma. <laughs> so... I'd kicked against the Holy Spirit, the Lord, and the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, but I couldn't kick against this three-year-old. So I, I go in there, and you know, when you're going through difficulty and you're under pressure, you want a little support, don't you? Well, I could hear my baby daughter, who's feeding her baby, I could hear her giggling. I'm brokenhearted. I could even hear Wilma, who was sewing, laughing. So I walk in there, and, uh, and I said, uh, 
Mima, I just want to apologize. I'm very sorry. My attitude and my spirit was wrong. Three-year-old is still not finished. I walked back in the front room, and she said, That's very good, Granddad. Now you don't have to go to time out. <laughs> you see, the Catholic Church, my Catholic friends have purgatory. In hockey, they have the penalty box. In baseball, you can strike out. And you can foul out in basketball, and you can get a red card in soccer. But as far as my three-year-old Asia Grace was concerned, the worst thing that can happen to you in your whole life is to go to timeout for three minutes. <laughs> and I have traveled a lot. I've spoken a lot. And I've worked with a, tens of thousands. Unfortunately, I sometimes find people that have been sentenced to time out. You see, a few days later, right after she had been in time out, she's running across the floor, across the room, and she hits her head on the table. And of course, she starts wailing. I mean, I've been to Navajo funerals. They didn't wail as loud as she did. She's just wailing at the top of her lungs. And wash, And then someone walks over, probably her granny, walks over and hits the table and said, Bad old table. And she said, Table, I'm going to put you in timeout right now. <laughs> because you see... A three-year-old is already astute enough to fall into the blame game. It may be cute in the life of a three-year-old, but when you're 73 years old like me, we need to grow beyond the blame game. The immaturity is the unwillingness to take personal responsibility for our actions and reactions when life doesn't conform to our own expectations. That's good. I wish I'd have said it. I did. I'm saying it again. True immaturity is the unwillingness to take personal responsibility for my actions and reactions when life does not conform to my personal expectations. Many plans, many dreams have been put on hold forever because someone wasted energy fretting, fuming, and fussing about a situation that they can't rectify. You can't solve the situation. You need to give the situation a short shift, and you need to forgive. A young man came to me a number of years ago. He had been with us when we started our fellowship, and he had got married, moved away, come back, his marriage failed, going through some difficulties. And he asked to meet me, and I happened to be in the office in the old St. Mark's Church, and, and he comes in and he said, I want to talk to you, Gary. I said, fine. And uh, he said, uh, I want to forgive you. And I said, well, I appreciate that. What are you going to forgive me for? And he goes back to an incident that happened 10 years before. And he said, you did this, you did this, you did that. I said, no, I didn't do that. He said, now, Gary, don't worry. I'm going to forgive you. I said, no, you're not going to forgive me. 
because I didn't do anything wrong. He said, now, Gary, you need just to accept forgiveness. I said, wait, wait. And I called his name. I said, you mean you've been held hostage for 10 years by a supposed oversight on my part, which actually never did happen, and you've held it against me for 10 years. I was your pastor. I helped bring you to the Lord. I baptized you, gave you opportunities of ministry, and yet you've held this against me. And then he says, he said, no, now, Gary, you did that, and, but I'm going to forgive you. I said, son, if this keeps going, you're going to have to forgive me. <laughs> because I said, that never happened. And then I gave him a teaching on it, and he let still absolutely convinced that I'd done him a perceived wrong that never actually happened. He'd carried that for 10 years. He allowed life to sentence him to time out for 10 years. All of his dreams, all of his hopes, they're left hanging somewhere while this perceived hurt is going on in his life. Friends, we need to give life a short shift sometimes and forgive and get on with it. A friend of mine was a paramilitary terrorist, a guy named David Packy Hamilton. During the time of the Troubles, our first 18 years in Ireland, we lived through the Troubles. Fortunately, we were in the South, so it wasn't near as bad, but we often went North, and it was quite difficult at times. In the middle of that whole thing, we were still planting churches. You can't wait for a convenient time to plant the church. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall never overpower it. We keep building the church, whatever's going on. And uh, we were involved in... Uh, this young man came into our lives. I, he had, while he was in prison, he had got saved. Uh, he went to Bible school in prison, gets out, gets married. He's had an outstanding ministry of evangelism. And, and, uh, but a lot of people reject him because of his past. He came. We got behind him. We supported him. We paid his bills. We, we lined up meetings for him and so on. I became like a pastor and a mentor to him. And, uh, and one day he told us a story. He said when he was in prison... He went to, uh, he and his wife, when he went to prison, he had a little boy, and, and, and he was sentenced for nine years. He didn't expect his marriage to survive that nine years, and it didn't. But while he was in prison, for, uh, he'd been in prison for a couple of years, one of his, his brother came to see him, and he said, David, I need to meet with you. I asked to meet with him. I've got some bad news. And he told him the story. He said, you know, he said, uh, I think you're aware that your wife is, yes, involved in someone else and so on like that. He said, well, recently your little boy, uh, boy who was that time about two years old, kept crying because he was ill. And the man in a drunken stupor of anger walks in and he buries his fist in his head. And he terribly damages him. And uh, he said, it looks like he's going to live, but you need to know this. Well, Packy said, I had been saved. I had been filled with the Spirit. I was studying the Word. But that old Spirit began to rise up within me. The enemy was seeking to put my friend at a timeout forever because God had a plan for his life. He said it so happened that the man ended up going to trial and being sentenced, and they conveniently put him in the same cell block that he was in. And he said, I remember rush, rush, struggling with that, wrestling with that night after night, day after day. He said, I fashioned me a knife in the, in the prison shop there. And I, and I had a friend of mine hide it out on the yard, on the prison yard. Hide it in a certain place. And he said, I, he said, I said, uh, now I want you to create a disturbance over to the left. 
and I want to make you make sure he gets isolated. He said, I want to shove this knife up between his ribs. He'll never touch my boy again. And he couldn't sleep. He struggled all night. But he still was determined to follow through with this. And the next day, the disturbance happened. And, and he said, as he, as he ran and he found the knife, it suddenly hit him what was happening. And the Holy Spirit began to deal with him. And the Holy Spirit said, you can't do this. He said, God, I have to do this because of my son. And he said, I saw Jesus so plainly on the cross being crucified. And God spoke to me and said, this is what you did to my son. And I forgave you. You will forgive this man for what he's done to your son. And he said, I dropped the knife. And he said, I looked in this man's face. And, and just the stress just began to melt away. He said, because of what Jesus did for me. To his son, I'm going to forgive you as he's forgiven me for what you've done to my son. And you're free. But it wasn't just the man that was free. My friend, Packy Hamilton, walked into a place of freedom and forgiveness and grace that he had never known in all of his life. One of his friends that was praying that it wouldn't happen shouted, Packy Hamilton, the terrorist is dead. Packy Hamilton, the man of God, lives forever. Don't let the enemy put you in time out, friend. Time out is, a is not a destination for those who live life with a deep sense that Yahweh, Jehovah God, is still in control. When our lives and the purposes of God intersect, we have divine destiny. At Easter time, wherever I'm at in the world, I call my mother. And then Terry and my mother just turned 97 years old. Mother's already outlived three pastors and three doctors. Her doctor and her pastor now are real nervous. <laughs> and wherever I'll call mommy, invariably, I was calling her yesterday driving up from Dallas for a... Uh, for a, a meet, with meetings with friends and a party. And, and, uh, and I called her. Mom invariably will always say, where are you? And I'll say, well, I'm wherever I'm at. So I called her Easter Sunday, as I always do. And Mom said, where are you? And I told her, I'm here in, uh, I'm here in Scotland or something. And she said, uh, she always says this, do you know what today is? Now, when you're a married man, We've got a brother here 67 years. My goodness. Uh, when you're a married man and your wife or your mother says, you know what today is? How many guys get nervous? Okay, the rest of you liars. That's all right. Anyway, is it anniversary? Is it our first kiss? Is it? And so mom says to me, you know what today is? Well, I know what today is. But my mother has to tell me again. And she told me last Easter, she said, 72 years ago today, on Easter Sunday, the Queen Mary, the troop ship called the Grey Ghost of World War II that transported hundreds of thousands of American boys to, to World War II in Europe and brought them back home again. My mother and I was on there, about 2,500 other GI War brides. My mother is English. She had met my father during the war. They'd married. Dad had come back earlier. And mom will say, you know, and I can remember this, she, she'll say, 
all I ever, and she'll talk about being on the ship. She'll talk about going out and seeing the, this, the great city, uh, New York. She'll talk about looking back over the prow of the ship and the great North Atlantic, thinking all of her family and everything she's left. And then she'll talk about, she just said, Lord, I, I believe there's a God and about surrendering me to the Lord at that moment when I was 18 months old. Easter 1946, and then she'll say, all I ever asked, all I ever asked was that I'd lived to see my youngest boy, John, be 18 years old, but mom has lived to see her great, great grandson dedicated and holding him. The psalmist says this, it's a word, like a word of knowledge into some individuals today. The psalmist says, Thy eyes have seen my days. They were ordained for me when, I was, when there was not one of them. Jeremiah says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I called you and I set you apart as a prophet to the nations. Back to Luke 7, 11 through 17. The story of the healing of the widow's son. As Jesus comes in with his entourage and as the city, great city gates open up and there is death and there is life personified in the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word name is a place name which means beauty and affliction. It was a time it, which is a time of reflection of what our life is like. Life can be beauty and life can be affliction. In a poignant statement, Charles Dickens in The Tale of Two Cities says, it was the best and the worst of times. It was a time of darkness and a time of light. It was a time of great hope and a time of despair. Life and death, promotion and demotion, success and failure, blessing and buffeting. Esther spends 12 months in preparation for an audience with the king. The first six months is spent with special ointments which speak of death for cleansing. The last six months were fragrances which represent life itself. Listen, friends, the names of life in your life are allowed by the Lord to not to destroy you, but to prepare you for an encounter with the king. If the widow had never lost her son, she would have never had the life-changing encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's face it, most of us came to Christ looking for fire insurance, and then we had an audience with the king. Sometimes it was affliction that drove us there. You see, it is not to destroy you, but it is to enable you to go to the next level God has for you to fulfill your God-ordained dreams. David said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Weeping may endure for the night, 
but joy comes in the morning. Micah, and I love this one, Micah says, don't rejoice over me, my enemy, when I fall down, for I shall arise. You may be in a place of name today. You may be in a place that's been a beauty in a place of affliction, but this is not come in your life to destroy you. This is come in your life to prepare you for an audience with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. A life-saving moment. A time that the whole trajectory of your life can change. Oh, I can remember that moment of walking into that Pentecostal church when I was 19, only interested with a young girl that was on my arm. And I went into that service and I sat there and suddenly the Holy Spirit comes. Nobody knew they were praying for me in this church. I looked, at the, I looked at the prayer box a few weeks later after I was saved, and it said, pray for Gary Davidson. He is as hard as nails, but Jesus is going to set him free. And I listened to the music, and I listened to the worship by a quartet that was there, and suddenly I began to feel a conviction. No one knew that whenever I was a sophomore only a few months before in university in a biology class that I had had a Revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd had a river in a biology class teaching on the theory of evolution. I think sometimes God looks down and he said, let's just surprise our boy down here. God's got a plan. I'm going to use him to raise up a church in southeastern Oklahoma. I'm going to use him to raise up a whole national movement. And right here in a class on the theory of evolution, I want to give him a revelation of my son Jesus Christ. And I had that revelation. Nobody knows. Don't quit praying. Don't quit praying. Who knows what the Holy Spirit is is doing in your children's life, in your friend's life, what God is at work in your family's life. And the, and the young man was leading the meeting. I suddenly hit me. I got to get out of here. I'm going to break down. And I got an image to maintain with this young girl beside me. And the young man stopped the service. I was going to get up and go get a smoke. I didn't smoke, but I just wanted to get out. <laughs> and and, and the, young, the young man leading the meeting, he stops the meeting and he says these words. And he begins to point at me and he begins to prophesy to me. I didn't know what prophecy was. I didn't know what tongues was. I didn't know anything. But I knew that boy was reading my mail. I knew the Holy Spirit had sent him a special delivery letter. And he was reading my mail. And he begins to talk about my destiny and God's plan for my life. My best friend is next to me. Carriage with the Lord now. Yeah, I remember he... He asked everybody to stay. They asked to raise your hand, and I thought, well, if I raise my hand, this guy will shut up. <laughs> I raised my hand, and he said, I knew he was here, and I thought, man, he must be guessing. But he wasn't. And I went ahead and stood with everybody else, and I remember my friend just got a hold of my trousers, and he said, Gary, this is your night. And I knew it was my night. And it went down. I had an encounter. With the Lord Jesus Christ. I had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, Lord, help me. And the young man said, He's already helped you, Gary. He did it 2,000 years on the cross and He set you free forever. The young lady I was with ran out the back door of the church. People were shouting and rejoicing. I had an old Pentecostal granny. She was doing a shoe buckle back, so whatever it was. I'll tell you what, i got to dance in that worship. I, I broke my leg, but next time I come back, I'm, I'm going to be through. I like to tell people I, I'm going to a therapist. They say, ooh, 
therapist? Well, it's physiotherapist. Anyway, uh, and, and, uh, and next time we come back, then we'll be able to dance here and get this whole hip going. But my granny was dancing. They were rejoicing. And this young girl ran out the back of the church. And the pastor's wife was standing there, and she said, it's great to have you with us. Uh, come back again. She said, you got him, but you'll never get me. I didn't get her either. I got Wilma. Hallelujah. <laughs> come on, church. I had an encounter with the Lord. You see, the young man needed to live again. A dream. His mother was going to be sentenced to a lifetime of destitution. But Jesus had another plan. You may think that life is going to continue to get worse, but I'm telling you, Jesus Christ and Ray of Hope on a Sunday morning has got another plan for your life. Don't quit on the process. Believe in it. There's a resurrection touch from the master that's coming your way that will arrest and reverse the process that should have guaranteed the extinction of your dream. But it ain't going to happen because Jesus is in the house today. Come on, church. It was a, we were going through a situation in Ireland years ago, 25, 24 years ago. Oh, quick, God's going to do it. And uh, my daughter, Christy, just had her first child, and she was uh, diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome, which means in 24 hours, if you don't get on a life support machine, everything closes down. I flew back to the States. Her mother was with her. Stayed six weeks. Only time probably in my life I ever got depressed. You know what, Mike? Amy can do a lot to me and you but when he shows up with the kids and now grandkids. I'll tell you what, he's not a bad-looking granddad. <laughs> For an old feller. Anyway, And we had to bring her, bring her and her baby to Ireland because we're citizens, so we have a national health service. It's not always the best, but it was better than what we were getting in the States at the time. So we would, uh, remember them calling me late one night, and Saturday night I'm preparing to preach on Sunday morning in Marks, and they call me and they say, the surgeon said, you got to come in and sign off. we got to do special surgery on your daughter. And... Uh, there's so much pressure on her spine or she's, she's going to go blind if we don't do this. We don't know if it'll work, but we're going to try. And uh, we'd bring her home. We'd take her back, bring her home. And so I remember one night we'd sit up with her. And I remember one night about 2 in the morning, she said, Dad, i got to have a painkiller. I said, Honey, you can't have another painkiller, narcotic, till 4 o'clock. She said, Dad, i got to have it now. I said, You can't. She's crying. Trevor, you're Trevor, are you? Tanner, I mean, sorry. That was a dirty dog, isn't he? He always shows up at your worst time because he wants to put his heel on your neck. Some of you keep serving, serving him. He wants to destroy you. He's going to he come to kill, steal, and destroy. But there's, there's a Jesus coming into the name, the beauty, and the affliction of your life can set you free forever. And... Uh, 
Somebody come in to spell me. I had to go into St. Mark's. I had to meet my staff. And I remember I was sitting outside St. Mark's Church. And uh, I, was as low as a, I was as low as a snake's belly. And I remember saying, Lord, I can't do this anymore without you. And the enemy came three times. Three times in my life, I know I have faced the enemy. But there was always enough blood. <laughs> Isn't that good? I wish I'd said that. I did. There was enough blood. And, and the enemy came, and I remember he said to me, Gary, if you will back off, I'll back off. Now it's election time in Oklahoma. And you know how you can tell when a crooked politician is lying? His lips are moving. You know how you can tell when Satan is lying? His lips are moving. He never come to give you anything good. He wants to rip you off, destroy you, and send you to a hell that never was built for you. Heaven is your destiny in Jesus Christ, through Jesus. And the enemy said to me, if you will back off, I will back off. And you know, sometimes you can't do this by yourself. In fact, you can never do this by yourself. I got more trouble by myself than I ever have together with him. And the enemy said, if you'll back off, I'll back off. And something rose within my spirit because when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of God will raise up a standard against him and something begin to rise in my spirit. It wasn't me. It was God. It was his Holy Spirit. And the Lord roared out of me these words, Satan, we have taken territory in this land you've had a thousand years. And by the grace of God, we will do much more. I didn't know that. But Father in heaven, Holy Ghost within me and Father God and Jesus Christ knew it was there and it roared out of my spirit. The enemy left. Amen. And it was after that we started planting all those churches. You see, the enemy came. It was Nain. It was beauty and affliction. And the enemy came. But Jesus had a resurrection moment that was going to rest and reverse Everything the enemy planned against me and against my daughter. And life rose up. And thousands have responded. Let's pray. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And hope changes everything.